Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Even after Jesus rose from the dead and spent time with him, even after people physically saw him, some doubted. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In this verse, in this passage, as Jesus is giving his farewell to his disciples, he is going to summarize everything that was represented in the Bible. He is going to give us the whole reason why he came. Jesus did not come to give us eternal life. We had that already. I mean, granted, we would be in the grave, stuck in a place of torment and suffering, but we already were going to live forever. And we know this because Jesus gave a parable of Abraham. Abraham is still around. He's just in the grave. Not suffering, he was in paradise. But he was going to be there forever. And Jesus comes to do something that is more important than a nation. And at this time, we know in news that, that Israel is going through a horrible situation. There is a lot of attention on Israel. But there's more things to be done than a nation. There's more important business than a nation because the nation was not about the people. It was about the seed on which that nation would bring the seed. It was about Jesus. It was about Jesus coming. And God chose the people of Israel to be his people in order to bring the seed. Why? Because in the garden something happened. In the garden of Eden something happened that, that God needed to initiate or God put into the start of his plan because God did nothing took God by surprise. God wasn't surprised when Eve and, and Adam sinned. God already had a plan. You see, God is able to make every single decision beforehand before he begins to construct and lay out what he desires. When we were building our basement, we, when we moved in, it was just a single light in an open basement. That was it. There was no structures, no rooms, no nothing. It was just a completely open basement with one light. And we did it in stages. And the first layout that I did was I made my office. And I, and I made it perfect so that when all of the other walls were constructed, they were exactly 36 inches, three foot wide hallway. But I see I had a plan. But what I didn't plan for was that there was a little slope in my basement. And so I had to make a contingency plan and come up with another solution. How am I going to level this off? But when God makes his plans, there's no contingencies. He knows all of the things, all the possible choices, and he comes up with the plan before he starts. And why am I saying this? Because I want to tell you something. Nothing in your life takes God by surprise. There's absolutely nothing in your life that throws God off. When he makes a promise, when he makes a purposeful statement to you, you better believe that every single possibility has already been thought out and he is going to fulfill what he has promised you. The Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. 
or the Son of Man to change his mind. He doesn't change his mind because of the events that are happening in this world. He doesn't change his mind because of the price of eggs or the price of gas. He doesn't change his mind because you don't feel well. He does not change his mind because his will will be done. And when he speaks a promise to you, you better hold on because it's going to come to pass. And if it doesn't, it's not because of him. So hold on. God promises and he will fulfill. And God promised in the Garden of Eden because of Adam and Eve's sin that he was going to send a seed and his name was Jesus. Now why? Why did Jesus have to come to earth? Because Jesus needed to be here where everything was lost. Recently I was listening to a, a podcast from a church that has tens of thousands of people that attend it. It's a large church, very influential church. The pastor flies all around the world giving leadership things. And I was listening to a podcast that came from their church. And they were talking about why is there evil in the world? And they brought on some scholars, some, some high-notch scholars to answer this question. And so I'm listening with abated breath, just wondering what they're going to say. Why is there evil in the world? And these scholars started by saying this. Most scholars will tell you. Now let me tell you something. When someone ever says most scholars say, they don't know what they're talking about. It's just, it's just, it's just the facts. Because why are they quoting more scholars? Because they don't have the answer. And they never answered the question why there was evil in this world. Why do things like Israel happen? Why do things like children that die needlessly? Why is there so much evil in this world? And the reason being is because God set up this system so that mankind would rule it. God created Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he made them in, his, in, in their image, in their likeness. And then in 27, God made them in his image, male and female, why? To rule over this place. Mankind was designed to be in charge of the earthly realm. But they sinned. And they surrendered the keys over to our enemy. And now it is Satan who had the keys that could run the earthly realm. It was Satan that had the ability to be in charge of this place. He had the very authority that Adam and Eve had. And it was given to them. But where did that happen? That happened here on earth. You see, God created the system of the heavenly and the earthly realm. And when God allowed mankind to rule over the earthly realm, it was under their care, but they lost it. So God was going to send another man to come into this place and take back what was lost here on earth. That's why Jesus had to come. God could have just did it. God could have just looked at Satan and said, poink, you're done. God could have just wiped him out. God could have just got rid of the rebellion. God could have just did everything he could have to, to take away from Satan what was taken from him, from Adam and Eve. But God did it. Why? Because God set up the rules. He says, this is the way I want it done. I want it to be done through man. I want it to be done through mankind. I want them to rule over this place. And when they lost their ability 
God says, listen, Satan, I'm going to send a seed. I'm going to send a son, and he's going to come, and he's going to crush your head. Yes, you'll bruise his heel. Yes, you'll snip at him. But when the end comes, you will be defeated, and it's going to be through a man. That's why the Bible says that the first Adam was a, life, was a living being, but the second Adam was a life-giving spirit because Jesus was the second Adam. Jesus came into this world. And when he died, the enemy thought he did one of the greatest things he could imagine. He killed the future king. And they killed Jesus on the cross. And for three days, I could just imagine them giving themselves high-fiving each other, going around talking about how great they just defeated God. Now we're going to go to heaven and we're going to take over his throne. And they're all celebrating, but then on the third day, something happened. The Holy Spirit comes into that tomb and brings life back to someone who was innocent. And his name is Jesus, and he raises from the dead, and he defeats death. And because Jesus Christ, a man, defeated death, now Jesus has been given the authority over death. He's the one who holds the keys. He's the one who has all authority. And look what we said here, or look what it said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, or verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. When Jesus said heaven, he didn't say heavens, plural. He said heaven, singular, heaven. This is a very big part of my book that I wrote about because it's important because there are multiple heavens in the Bible. The third heaven, which is what we would understand, is where God lives. The second heaven is the firmament. It is this place where the sun and the moon and the stars are located. And this firmament separates God's home from our atmosphere, our first heaven. Third heaven, God's home. Second heaven, the place where the sun, moon, and the stars are. The first heaven is our atmosphere where the birds fly. That's our first heaven. And so when the Bible refers to the earthly realm, it is talking about the atmosphere where the birds fly and where the cows walk on the land. Earthly realm is considered our atmosphere and our land. And Jesus said that all authority has been given in the atmosphere and on the land has been given to me. You see, Jesus never lost his authority in heaven. It's God's home. He never lost his authority, but we lost ours. We lost ours here on our earthly realm. We were supposed to rule. That's why in Hebrews, it tells us, Hebrews chapter 2, it says that we're supposed to rule. And we're supposed to, we were crowned, we were made crowned with glory and honor, but yet we don't rule anything. We don't rule over everything. Why? Because we have to look to Jesus. Jesus is the one that defeated death. Now praise the Lord when Jesus comes back for the church and we will be transformed and we will be taken up with him. We will be transformed once again into the glorious state that he desires for us to be, to be crowned with glory and honor. But until then, we have to live under the rules of the earthly realm, which means we all must face death. Death. Jesus came on the earth to take back what we lost, to take back the authority to rule over this place. And now he holds the keys. That's why in Revelation 1 it says that Jesus, the one who is living and who was once dead but now is alive, holds, he rules over death and the grave. He holds the keys. 
You see, Jesus came to earth because this is where we lost our authority. And Jesus came to earth as a man, fully God, fully man, came to earth to die so that he would defeat death. And when he did, he took those keys back. And just before he leaves his disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is telling us that, listen, I run this place now. And those who are a part of my kingdom will be able to do things in my kingdom that cannot be done in this kingdom that is here. You see, we are a part of a kingdom. We are part of the kingdom of God. The Bible says that we are citizens of heaven. We are not just participants of this world. We just don't live in Fairmont or Martin County or Minnesota. We are a part of the kingdom of heaven. And that's why the Bible tells us that every single heavenly blessing is ours. Because we live in a spiritual realm. You know the Bible says that we do not live in the realm of the flesh, in the realm of this earth, in the realm of material, that we live in the realm of his spirit, that we are a part of the spiritual nature, and this is who we are as his people. And I want you to know this, that the one who has authority over this place is no longer the enemy, but it is Jesus Christ who defeated death and the grave. It is Jesus who now controls everything, his heavenly home and ours. Why is there evil in this world? Because Jesus still plays by the rules that he established. Psalms tells us that the heavens are the Lord's and the earthly realm is for mankind. Why is there evil in this world? Because, see, mankind can still do what it wants in this place. Well, if God is so good and God is so loving, how come he doesn't stop things like Israel? How come he doesn't stop things from innocent children? How come he doesn't stop people from dying? How come he doesn't stop people from getting raped and murdered and killed? Why doesn't he do these things? Because he still allows the earthly realm to be ruled under the rules that he established. Why is there evil in this world? Because we're in this world. People that are filled and following their father, the devil, are in this world. And they are highly influenced by the enemy and the demonic spirits that are influencing them. That's why there's evil in this world. It's not just because Adam and Eve sinned. It was because Adam and Eve gave up the authority that we had. And now everyone is subject to death. Everyone is still subject to the rules of the earthly realm. And that's why the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that our last enemy, our last enemy to be defeated is death. Yes, the devil's defeated. Yes, the all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. But this realm still suffers under death. But Jesus came on this earth, defeated death in the grave, and now says, I give you the authority. Why am I saying this? Because this is what I believe the Lord wanted us to wanted me to tell you this morning. Stop looking at this earthly realm for the answers. Stop putting your hope in things that you think can get you what you need. It does not come from there. It comes from heaven. There is not one thing that cannot be solved or, re- or, or supplied from the throne room of God. There's not one thing that he can't do. Everything is possible. But you have to believe in him. 
You have to have faith in him. You have to trust that God is able to do the impossible. Why don't people believe in miracles anymore? Because we are so caught up in the way the material world works that we forget that we are part of the spiritual realm, that we are part of the heavenly realm, that we are citizens of heaven. I want to ask you this. If you went to heaven right now, and if we're in heaven right now, what is possible in heaven? Everything, because there's nothing stopping God. But yet in this world, I want to ask you, what is not possible? What can God not do? And, and the answer is, the quick answer is, well, he can do anything, Pastor. He's God. But why doesn't he? Because he's looking for people to believe in him. He's looking for people to trust him. He's looking for people to say, you know what, God, you're still the same. You're still the same God. When the woman was about ready to lose her boys, who gathered a jar, a small jar of oil. It was non-GMO oil, too. Non-GMO oil, guys. It was good stuff. It wasn't no great value. It was good stuff. And she got that little oil, and she poured it, producing gallons and gallons and gallons from this little jar. Why doesn't God do that today? Who says he can't? You see, God isn't limited by our belief but God will not work apart from our belief. See, he wants you to partner with him, to believe him, that he still is God. He still is God. So what miracle are you praying for? What miracle are you hoping for? Don't stop. Trust that he is still the same God who can make the oil flow. He is still the same God who can bring those that are dead back to life. He is still the same God who can provide, who can supply, and who can create. All he needs for you to do is believe that he can. You know, the Bible says that it is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith. What is faith? Faith is simply belief. That's it. And it's not about how much faith you have. It's about just a little amount of faith, but it's what you do with it. It's what you do with it. You see, when you came in today, you sat down on those pews, you didn't doubt, you didn't question. We were up at a volleyball game, a St. James tournament, watching the seventh graders play, and me and me and my daughter Allie were there, and we went to this tournament, and we sat down in this chair, and all of a sudden it just shifted a little. And I, I started doubting. I was like, if this chair falls, they're all going to look and say, yeah, the fat man broke the chair. I mean, I'm serious, I started doubting. And Ellie, Ellie knew that I was struggling in my faith, so she goes and gets me a chair. She goes, Dad, this chair is solid. This, this will hold you. I said, yeah. And I sat down on that thing. I said, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. But when you start to question the ability of what is holding you, you start to question the ability of God who has you in his hands. That's not faith. That's doubt. I want to trust in the one who can still hold me even when it feels like my legs are giving out and I'm feeling weak and I don't think I can do it. I want to trust in a God who still has the ability to sustain all things by his powerful word. I want to trust in a God who can make everything possible no matter what I feel, no matter what I think, no matter what I see, because my God will never lie. He'll never change his mind. He's still God. He is not limited by this earthly realm, but he operates within it according to the rules. And the rules are this. 
You can belong to his kingdom, the enemy's kingdom, or you can belong to his. You can believe in what you see or you can believe in him. The choice is yours. Today, I want to believe in him. I want to trust in him. I don't want to fear. I don't want to walk wondering how. I don't want to believe and wake up tomorrow morning thinking if it's going to happen, if God's going to be able to to help me, to sustain me, to, to get me out of my depression, to get me out of my fear. I want to trust in a God who can do the impossible. Because I'll tell you, there's not one page that I have found in my Bible. I've been looking. I've been looking. Since I was 18 years old, I've been looking, and I still haven't found out where God has lost and God has not won. I was listening to a podcast about demon possession. And it bothered me so much that I had to have my wife listen to it. It didn't bother me because of the demon possession, because I understand that we understand the spiritual realm. We understand that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We understand that there is nothing that can, that, that no power in this world that can ever stand up against God, that even the devil's strongholds cannot resist and stop God's power and authority. We know this. Our enemy is defeated. But it bothered me. Because it was about a father whose son was possessed. The boy came from a different country, uh, came from a place that, that did a lot of black magic, did a lot of witchcraft. And this boy was possessed, invited this thing into his life, this demon into his life, and began to become a friend to this demonic spirit. Gave him the ability to possess this child. This child did things beyond its own natural ability. This child was demon-possessed. And this father who is a Christian, this father who, who knows the Word of God, this father who is in the ministry, end up losing his son because he adopted him from this country, end up losing his son because they couldn't throw out the demon. But you know what the saddest part of the whole story is? This father didn't know that he wasn't even talking to his son. He was talking to someone who controlled him. And so the kid ended up leaving. And that whole story was simply this. God lost. God lost. Because this father who loved his son had to give him away because they couldn't take care of the issue of the demon that possessed his boy. God lost. That's why it bothered me. It's a sad story, but it bothered me that God didn't win. Because you know what? I believe in a God who can defeat every single enemy that comes our way. I believe in a God who can make the impossible possible. I believe in a God who can turn the story in a moment. You have to believe in God. You have to trust Him. Because the one that we serve is the one who has authority over everything, over His home and ours. And it is Jesus Christ that lives in us. It is the Spirit of God who has defeated death, hell, and the grave. It is the Spirit of God who is greater than anything in this world. And so trust God. Believe God.
So this morning, we're going to take a few moments to pray here. We're just going to take a few moments to pray, and I'm going to ask that you this morning would just begin to cry out to God. Whatever you need Him to do, just begin to trust Him. Just begin to trust Him that He will help you overcome your fears, your anxieties, your worries. Some of you are in situations where if God doesn't move soon, you're going to lose everything. Some of you are in situations that if God doesn't restore a relationship, it could be broken forever. Some of you are in a situation where it seems like tomorrow is so clouded and you're afraid because you don't know what's going to happen next. Whatever situation you are in, I want you to know that God is with you. You do not have to know the answer. You just need to know the one who has the answer. You need to trust and believe and not worry because God is with you. Because at the end of this portion of Scripture, Jesus said that I will be with you to the end of the age. Your God will never leave your side. So pray to Him, church, this morning. Pray to God. Whatever needs you have, just pray to Him. Cast your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Just pray. Come on, let's just pray. This morning, <clears throat> I was thinking about, um, as we were praying and, and inviting you to pray out loud, I know it's not a comfortable thing in Minnesota to pray out loud, to pray in public, um, but if you look closely throughout Scripture, you're going to have a hard time finding evidence of when prayers were quiet. There's, there's not a lot of examples where people prayed in their heart, but there's a reason why you pray out loud. When our kids were younger, you know, and, and you've experienced this as parents, um, sometimes your kid wakes up in the middle of the night crying and screaming because they had a bad dream. And sometimes they would come to our room and, you know, mom, mom, daddy, a bad dream and all this. And what we'd do is we would, as parents, because, you know, we, we were tired, we would calm them down and say, hey, hey, settle down. It's okay. It's just a dream. It's just a dream. And then, and then we would escort them back into their room put them back in bed, turn the lights off, close the door, and they would go back to bed. 
And they would sometimes come out again and we'd put them back in bed. We didn't want to break the routine of going to sleep. And the reason why is because as a little child, yes, they're having a bad dream. And yes, it's, it's real to them. It's a real experience. But as a child, how do you teach them to understand God did not give you a spirit of fear? They, they just they can't comprehend it at that age. But you can show them. You can show them that, hey, nothing's going to interrupt my routine of sleep because it's just a dream, and I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to get good sleep. You see, you can't, you can't tell them as a young child and teach them you know, to, to, to say, hey, in Jesus' name, I don't have a spirit of fear, you know, and, because they, but they can learn it. And then eventually, when they grow up, they'll understand that, hey, I don't have a spirit of fear. It was just a bad dream. And the reason why we pray out loud is because it helps us model our faith. I could, I could tell you my fears. I could tell you my, my worries, my concerns. You know what my biggest fear is today? That Chicago Bears would lose and the Vikings would win. That's my biggest fear. I'm not afraid of the Lions, but I'm afraid of the Bears doing, not doing their job. If I spoke my fears, it becomes real to me. And that's all I think about. Because the words you speak bring life and death. And those who love it will live off the fruit of it. Those who speak good words, you're going to live off your words. So speak good things. And that's what prayer is. Father, I'm scared. But I know that it's you who holds me. God, I don't understand why. But I know that you'll never fail me. God, I don't feel like I'm a part, but I know I'm a part of the kingdom of God. You see, you're speaking your faith. You're speaking your faith, and that's why we pray out loud. And so I don't want to do things that are uncomfortable. You know, if you go to any church seminar, they'll tell you, don't let people hold hands and cross the aisles and hold hands and pray. That's real uncomfortable in today's society. Yes, it is. But you know what it teaches? It teaches that we're together and we stand with each other. When we pray out loud, it teaches us, number one, that we're going to have faith in God, and number two, that we care. Because you know what's going to happen? You're going to go home this week and you're going to pray for Gary. You're going to pray for Israel. And you're going to say, I have the kingdom of God. You're going to pray for your relationships. Why? Because you heard it. So that's why we learn. We've got we to gotta get back to the basics when it comes to God. We've got to get back to believing, get back to caring, get back to loving. So we don't walk in fear. Amen? Amen. Would you stand this morning as we get ready to leave? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today, Lord. This day has been a day designed by you for your people because I believe this, God, that things are changing. Not because of what we see, not because of what we feel, but because of what we know. And we know that you are on the move and that, God, this is the moment that you are coming back soon and you are going to prepare a great revival. We are going to see people coming and we're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because your work is not finished. But Lord, help us through the moments of when we are afraid. Help us through the moments when we don't understand. And let us be people who model our faith by the way we pray, by what we say, and what we speak. So, Lord, I just pray you'll bless your people today. I pray you'll be with them. Lord, go with them. Let them have a wonderful week getting to know you and you revealing yourself to them. We love you so much. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Amen.